so two years ago um, or so, I don't know, two and a half years ago, my wife and I um, had been down here in Atlanta for a little while, and we decided uh, that we, were, we hadn't found our sweet spot of a church of where we could get connected and plugged in and serve. And so uh, we had moved here um, from Charlotte, North Carolina. We were trying to find our spot, and we had the privilege of finding uh, what was then known as Mountain Lake Church, right? And so we started going to the Forsyth campus. My kids plugged in really quickly. Um, I, I have four kids, my wife and I. Our oldest son is adopted. He's been with us four years. Just recently entered into a military program. Great opportunity for him. So we adopted him when he was 14. Uh, at the same time, we had our own biological 14-year-old. So that was unique and complicated. And stories for another day of how that went. Um, and then we now have uh, so a, a freshman at UNG, a freshman at West Forsyth High School, a middle schooler, and then our young man that's now gone off to be in the military program, which is awesome. And so here we are with these four kids a couple years ago trying to find our spot in our lane. Where can we get connected? Where can we serve? Where can we just find a good place for our kids to grow? And so we ended up at the church there at Forsyth, and we just fell in love really quickly. We didn't know many people there at all. We were relatively new to the area, but it just didn't take long. And after a little while, Pastor Chris Emmett um, decided to, that he wanted to have lunch with me, which if you've ever done lunch with a pastor, it usually means that they're, they have a plan for your life. <laughs> um, and so uh, we go to lunch, and we have this awesome, awesome salad together, and we're sitting there, we're just talking, and we're talking like we've been best friends for a really long time, even though we're really having our first conversation. He's so easy to talk to. He's such a great leader, and so we start dreaming and talking, and he's like, okay, what does it look like? He knew I had been on staff at a church up in Charlotte called Elevation Church, and um, so I had the opportunity to be on the executive team and experience all this growth and work with Pastor Stephen and the worship team and all the great stuff, and so now here I am down here doing some business stuff, trying trying to find my lane and just was serving a church and he's like hey I want you to be a part of the team and so I jump in and volunteer I end up working with Mandy Holcomb in kids ministry and just doing some stuff and helping with youth and just kind of bouncing around my kids have fallen in love and we're just there every weekend right and somewhere along the way Chris says hey I've created a new role that I want you to fill at the church and that role is called chief of staff and I said well I'm familiar with what that looks like for the president, but I don't know exactly what that looks like in a church setting. And I've watched enough West Wing and Designated Survivor to know that's probably not who I am. And so help me understand a little more. And at that time, some of you may know Randy Angie was transitioning off of staff. And so he had been leaning in this executive pastor role, and he had leaned on the side, so you know, of the finances, right? We had some stuff to get in order here. He got his ECFA approved, which basically means we are audited to the audited to the audit to the audit to make sure we have high integrity with all of our finances, all the giving and all that you entrust to us. So he does all this stuff, gets in great shape, does all this stuff financially, but he's ready to move back to Tennessee, which is where I'm originally from. He's ready to be there and be with his family. And so he said, Frank, I want you to come on staff. Be our chief of staff and focus most of your time and energy on leader development, spending most of the time with the executive team, which includes Brian, your pastor here. 
And so I'm like, okay, let me pray about it. So uh, a year ago or so, I come on staff at the church, and I get to fill this role, which was fun. My first decision after coming on board was to hire Randy back. And so Randy works part-time for us and oversees all of our finances. He just does it remotely. So I do all the leader development, staff care, all that stuff. He helps oversee our finances. Well, along the way, I get to spend a good amount of time, like every single week, time with your pastor, Brian. And I just want you to know that, like, I've had the privilege of spending time with a lot of great godly leaders of churches across the U.S. and the world. I've got to speak at all these different conferences and all these gatherings. And I just want you to know that Brian is absolutely the real deal. And I know you know this, but he is a gifted communicator Really, really loves Jesus and really, really loves you guys a whole, whole lot. And he's always trying to figure out how we can translate big ideas to how they can have an impact right here in the community. So he's just so passionate about it. So when he asked me to come up and preach, it was so funny. Like Nate's like, guest preacher. And I'm like, guest doesn't quite communicate. I'm on staff. I just don't happen to come up here a lot. Actually, you may see me before. I come up. I just sneak in the back doors during the service and make notes, ask a few questions, and then just go to the next campus. And so I just kind of bounce around. I've just never been on your stage before. So thank you for letting me uh, be up here and just share a little bit of um, what I see God doing here, what I see God doing through you in a unique way. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for that. But I just wanted to give you a little context of where I'm coming from, just kind of from the global church team of our team of local churches going, how can I help you go further faster? What's God doing up here? How can I support you in a unique way? And specifically, how can I support Brian? So Brian will call me. We'll wrestle with stuff, how to make big decisions. What do we focus on? By the way, I don't know if you've been around the last few weeks or if he's mentioned, but we're getting acoustical treatment in this room. And it's not a very cool thing to have as kind of like an end of year. We're going to raise some money. We're going to do squares on the walls. It's not really, really incredible. It is going to change your life. You guys are going to be so happy when we get that up. It's just going to create a much better experience here in the room. And then we're doing uh, new flooring out in the lobby. So we got some good stuff coming just over the next few weeks. And that's because of your generosity and just believing in this and funding this ministry well. So thank you for that. And so I'm excited about what's ahead here at the church. Next week, Brian's going to explain how we are going to do Christmas and Christmas services and how we're going to plan all that. Those of you here were last year will be familiar with it. We're kind of doing the ticket system again, just slightly different, trying to manage COVID expectations. I don't know. Hey, by the way, Nate made a comment earlier about Christmas music. I'm just curious. Let's rewind two weeks. How many of you two weeks ago had already started decorating for some Christmas? Let me see your hands. I have a theory. For some of you, you know, he's all hardcore about December 1st Christmas music. I have a different theory. I think those of you that started a couple weeks ago decorating for Christmas may or may not be excited about Christmas, but may be more so excited that 2020 is almost over. So you're just trying to, like, hurry it along, right? I think, I think that's the real truth. So uh, here's the deal. I told you I was married. We've been married Almost 20 years. We've married 20 years this May, my wife and I. And I have to be honest with you, when I was in school, in middle school, high school, and college, I was kind of a nerd. I didn't study very much. I was relatively smart. 
And so I've just kind of like floated along through school. And one of the things that was really helpful to me is that I had a really good memory. I remembered everything. So I would halfway listen in class, pick up enough what I needed, pass the test, never study. Like it was just easy. And then I got married. And I don't know if any of you guys have experienced this, but suddenly you get married and suddenly you feel like you remember less. Because your wife is always putting out things that you said just a few hours ago. And you're like, I don't remember saying that or committing my life to that or doing that. And she's like, no, you said these exact words. And I'm like, I don't remember what I had for lunch. And now you're remembering very specific words and how I phrase things. And so somehow I end up doing a whole lot of stuff because my wife remembers things that I don't remember saying. And so she just kind of projects them on me. But I've really discovered that our memory and our way of thinking is, is kind of unique. And I don't understand sometimes why we remember some things in our lives and then we forget others. And I don't understand why there's some things that we want to forget that we keep remembering and we just want them to go away. And then there are powerful moments in our lives where there's something that we declare in the moment. We will never forget this precious moment with our kids or this special moment in our family. Like this just needs to be captured in a photo and it's going to lock in my memory. I don't even need the pictures to remember because it's amazing. I will never forget how this made me feel or what this experience was like. And then a few days later, it's like we've completely forgotten. What, what has happened in our lives, and we've lost perspective. Maybe it's something in your marriage where you're like, oh, this is so good. I will never forget how they went above and beyond, and they did this, and it's so special. And then two days later, you're like, oh, gosh, they drive me crazy. It's like, how do we so quickly forget things that we declare in the moment that we'll never, never forget them? How would we possibly do that? Well, what I'm learning as I'm just growing in my faith and continuing to learn how to walk with Jesus a little better is that if we will remember God's faithfulness, it will help us navigate our future. It gives us courage when things are a little more difficult, things are harder, when it's a little bit more of a struggle, when we can reflect and remember how God has been faithful time and time again. And yet God's people throughout Scripture continually forget. I mean, you look like the people of Israel, they're delivered out of slavery, and within a few years, they're complaining about the menu. We see people that had this encounter with Jesus and witnessed this incredible miracle, even the disciples, and yet then just moments, days, weeks later, they're now complaining and worrying because everything is out of control. And you're like, did, did you not see the same thing, it's like when Jesus calmed the storm, the disciples are freaking out. When that happens, you would think that you wouldn't forget that. And so when the next storm came up, you'd be like, well, I'm with Jesus, so everything's fine, right? These guys actually saw him calm a literal storm. And yet, I mean, we do the same thing, right? We will pray and pray and pray that God moves in a really powerful way in our lives. God will do that very thing. And then when the next difficult thing comes, it's like we forgot that he already did it. And so we lose perspective on will he do it again. Like we, it's, like, it's like, oh, no, this is a different circumstance. This one's harder for God to work through or something. I don't, I don't know what it is, but the people of God throughout Scripture and even us in this room 
just tend to forget. I don't know what it is about us, but I'd say while there are many things that we would choose to forget, and if I could be honest with you, I have some things in my upbringing and my life that I would give a lot to not have to remember. Painful things, hurtful things, broken family things that I would love to be gone. I'm learning as I walk closer and closer to Jesus and try to understand more and more about what he wants for my life or for my family is that we need to spend a little less time trying to forget and a little more time just trying to remember the good things that God has done. They carry us through much better than trying to purge negative things. So I found myself in Psalm 103, and I'll throw the scripture up on the screen here. David is writing, and he says, Praise the Lord, my soul, my whole heart. I will praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Another translation says, Let us not forget the good things. Say good things. Good things. That was mediocre at best. Does Brian not do this back and forth thing with you? See, I say something, and you repeat it, so you remember it a little better. So say good things. Good things. Here we go. We got this. And so he says, who forgives our sins and our diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. What I want to do over the next 15 minutes or so is just possibly give you three things that I think might be worth remembering. Three things that if we remembered or wrote down or locked in just a little bit better will help us navigate the things we wish we could forget, the things we wish we didn't have to navigate, the regrets, the frustrations. And so the first thing I want to give you is we must remember the good things that God has done for us. That seems obvious, but as I pointed out earlier, throughout Scripture, the people of God continually forget the faithful things that he's done for them, even in very practical ways. God, it's moving, and yet the people forget. I have a pastor friend. He pastors the largest church in America. And years ago, he started this journal. And we were talking about his journaling practices. And I'm like, okay, journaling, because I'm, like, making fun of him because I don't journal. And I'm like, how's your diary going? And I'm, like, giving him a hard time and picking at him. But the thing that I like about his journal is that it only has two lines per day. So it's not processing all of his thoughts and emotions. It's simply a space for him to write something good that he saw God do that day. And sometimes it's really, really small. And sometimes it's multiple days in a row of something really, really significant in his life. Something remarkable in his life that he can't seem to get over. And on those days when he forgets all that God's been faithful to do, he's able to just flip through the pages and be reminded time and time again of the good things. It's a very practical way for us to remember. I mentioned my son James who joined our family just about four and a half years ago. He was 14 at the time when he joined our family. And I, I experienced some difficult stuff in my upbringing, but nothing to the scale of James. He was in the state system. Um, parental rights had been permanently terminated. He was just kind of floating about as a teenager, highly unlikely he was going to be adopted just based on statistics, right? And so here he is, he's bounced from family member to family member to family member, no one who actually wanted him to end up there, and they let him know it. So along the way, he bounces around and around, he ends up in this group home in South Carolina, and it's okay. 
I'm thankful that they're there and they're doing their ministry. It was a really old group home. Um, they were doing the best they can with the resources made available to them. It was just an okay environment. Um, and along the way, we, my wife and I had planned on adopting a child younger than our youngest because that's what all the textbooks would tell you to do. That's the right order. We don't want to interfere with the birth order, all the things, right? So we're praying about who to adopt. And along the way, James comes up as an opportunity and a conversation that they want us to have. And they won't let us meet James. They want us just to process everything through paper and just consider in a picture and just they want us to meet later but they don't want to get his hopes up but they feel like he'd be a great fit and we'd be a great fit for him and all the things and so finally we get a chance to meet him and we're not allowed to go far so we go two miles down the street to a uh, I don't remember the name like a wings place like Buffalo Wild Wings or something like that we're sitting there probably not a great first place to take someone because all I could do is watch football on 700 screens right and so it's a little hard to have a conversation but as we're talking to him I'm like gosh I feel like our family would be really good for him. And my oldest son is a really strong, really big personality, and he can help. And so we navigate the next few weeks, and it goes really fast. And next thing you know, I'll ne I will never forget, the caseworker sitting down, our family's all together, and we've prayed. And the caseworker presents and says, James, do not forget this. This is what you've been praying for. You have hit the lottery. And so it was like this powerful moment to me of like, wow, she sees value in our family. And wow, what a privilege to be able to minister and care for this young man who's been through so much. And I know it's going to be really hard. And we thought we were ready for how hard it was going to be. Um, and we navigate all of it. And I say we thought. We still made it. But it was still just really hard, guys. And so we're navigating all of it. And I'm blown away. So he joins our family um, through temporary paperwork, later to be permanent. And within three weeks, we had already scheduled to go to Disney World at Thanksgiving four years ago. I'm just now putting it together. That was at Thanksgiving. That's interesting. Uh, so four years ago, Thanksgiving, we had already planned on going to Disney World, and we had already bought an extra ticket just in case we would end up with an adopted child, right? Because we had started a year earlier in this process. And so it's crazy. We had to file all this special paperwork to be able to take them out of the state because three weeks after coming to our family, we were going to freaking Disney World. This kid hadn't been to Starbucks. He had never been through a drive-through car wash before. I mean, we experienced at a 14-year-old all these things that you're like, wow, everything is amazing to him because he's just never got to experience these things, right? So we're going to Disney World. He'd never been on a roller coaster before, but he had pre-decided that he hated roller coasters. And so we get there, we decide that we're going to get, I'm going to talk him. So my kids have been to Disney World and all the places a million times. So they're just like, what's the fastest, loudest, craziest place we can go? Layla's now taller. She's now like 5'1", so she meets the criteria of the next ride up. And so they're taking off, and I'm just walking with him. And you can tell he's excited and nervous and all the things all at the same time. So we decide we're going to go to the Seven Dwarves ride because it's a very smooth roller coaster ride. And so we're on our way there, and I'm like, just trust me, dude. We're going to have this great time. Go on the roller coaster ride. Have a ball. He loves it. He is nervous, laughing the whole time because <laughs> he's not sure what's happening. Then somewhere along the way, he's just filled with joy. And we have a ball for the next few days. Weather was perfect. Family time was perfect. It was so good. And then we get back home. And then the days, weeks ahead, we implement chores, and we have homework to do and things like that. 
And it didn't take long for James to lose a little perspective. That's something that for his life was the biggest thing that had happened so far of now being adopted, something he stared at the ceiling, doubting that God would ever do anything for him, has now lost perspective, and he's just being ornery about something small, right? Whatever, we'll navigate that. We're parents, we have teenagers, we'll, it'll be fine. But it's interesting to me that here's a young man that prayed for something for nine years. From the time he was five, he was just hoping that he would end up with a family, and he had this picture of what it was going to be. And he got something similar. He wanted a brother and he wanted a sister. He got it. He wanted two cats. Who knows why? We have two cats. Who knows why? I don't even like cats. Uh, that's a whole other conversation. Anyway, so like the little things that he was asking God for, just it was like bing, 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 bing. And then here's a young man that within a couple months has completely lost perspective on what God has done. He's taking it for granted. Now, we've come a long way. It's fine, whatever. I give that as an example to go, I don't know of a more extreme example of something radical happening in someone's life at an age where they can remember and then that quickly forget and lose perspective. It just goes to show that we forget what God does for us. I believe Jesus knew this would happen, so that's why we do communion from time to time. He said, do this in remembrance of me. So we can remember his body broken for us. We can remember his blood sacrificed for us. God knew that we would forget. We have to remember the good things that God has done for us. And then once we remember the good things that God's done for us, we then quickly start to see what God is doing in us. He's shaping, he's molding, he's changing something about us. You know, those things we're trying to forget that we focus on, he's doing something really remarkable in our heart. And so here's what I've learned, and I accidentally made this rhyme, and this is like a Baptist preacher thing to make it rhyme, and I have three points, so I'm like slaying it as a Baptist preacher right now, apparently. Um, I did not mean to make this rhyme, but I put, forgetting creates a whole, remembering fills the soul. And the reason I put that, and I was not like inspired by Dr. Seuss, I was reading the Bible when I wrote this, um, here's what I've realized that when you're trying to forget all the hurt and the pain in your life, it leaves a gap. Even if you successfully squeeze it out for a few moments, there's a void that will fill, be filled up with something. It's either going to be filled up with hurt, pain. Oftentimes people will go to alcohol or drugs. They're trying to numb and fill that hole. Well, what I've started to learn is that when we remember the good things that God has done in us and for us, there's something that happens where the remembering squeezes out some of the things that we want to forget. Instead of us trying to remove it and replace with something else, there's something about us just focusing our time and energy on remembering. And we remember what God is doing in us and we recognize the little steps, the three steps forward, two steps back, the minor progress we're making. It actually starts to squeeze some of that pain out. I don't think it all goes away. I think we grow from it. We learn from it. But there's something incredible that God does in our hearts in a really remarkable way if we'll let him, where he starts to squeeze out by us remembering his faithfulness, the goodness of God. So we've got to see what God has done for us, these significant things in our life down to the minuscule, but then also recognize that God is doing something in us, and it makes a difference. There's this... 
I, I didn't start going to church until I was 17, even though I grew up in East Tennessee, and, like, that was just a thing you did. You went to church, but my family didn't do that. And so at 17, I go to church for the first time. I start to hear Bible stories for the first time, and I hear the story of the potter and the clay in Jeremiah. Maybe you've heard it before, but my favorite part of that is that the, the father is molding this clay into something beautiful. And the scripture actually says something went wrong. And I was like, I resonate with that. As a young believer, the, this, we have this plan and then something went wrong. And then the one molding the clay immediately starts to reshape and just fix and do something with what went wrong. I think for so many of us, we would stop the Bible story in our own lives at something went wrong. We just get stuck. We don't realize that he can remold and reshape and do something in us, even in those pains. We're all this work in progress. But I think we quickly forget the progress we've made because of the boneheaded thing we did. And for some of us, we did something really stupid over the last four days. We hurt a family member. We said one thing we probably shouldn't have said. We went a little too far with something. We got stressed over something unnecessary. And along the way, we feel like we took a massive leap backwards. The problem is we will remember that and wish we could forget it, sometimes wish we could take it back, and we're trying to figure it out. But somewhere when those things happen, we forget the little progress we've been making because it feels so small. But we can make this really small progress over time. And then even when we make that major mistake, we never go quite back to where we were. God is doing something in us. But those big steps backwards feel more significant than all those small steps that God is doing in us moving us forward. So it's just something to keep in perspective. So we have what God has done for us, what God is doing in us, and what God continues to do through us. I told you I started attending church at 17, and on my first Sunday at church, I got there at the wrong time. I was by myself. My family didn't go. And so I ended up in this building out behind the church where they were doing Sunday school for the young people. And apparently I was a young person. I was 17, just out of high school. And so I end up there in this room. There are two other people in the room, and they're twins, and then the Sunday school teacher. And so I'm like, this is a little weird experience for church, to be honest. And so I happen to know the twins. We ended up starting a rock band together. That's another story for another day. But I, I knew of them. They played sports. They were popular at my school. And so I knew of them, but we weren't very close. Sitting there, and he writes James 2 on the board. And the verse that he shared with us was, um, let's see here. You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. And all it's saying is that it's a hard thing for us to show our faith and to work out our faith when you can't see it. When it's not taking action and taking form in one way or another. And so there's this thing that we've got to figure out and work on ourselves of going, no, let your faith show up. Let it have an impact. And so we have, let us not forget what God has done through us, in us. For us, but that through us shows up in unique ways. It shows up through the wall of needs that Nate mentioned earlier, where we could just meet a need for someone that will not meet anytime soon, uh, but we could be a blessing to them. It's our faith in action. When you give faithfully to the church, 
you're having this echo effect and impact that will sometimes result in you seeing and meeting someone that was directly impacted by the generosity of this church and sometimes not. But it's a way to work out your faith with serving. It matters to be that smiling face at the door or in the parking lot. It really does help us work out our faith in a significant way. And so it just got me thinking, so if we have, if God has done great things for us worth remembering, God has done some really remarkable things in us. And we could all have and deserve this mic to share a story about what God has done faithfully in your life. But then this through us part takes a little bit more on us, right? So the for us, he's going to do it whether we're ready or not. The in us is something that we have our part to play and he has his part to play. The through us is us just stepping out in faith going, we're going to move, we're going to take action, we're going to do our part and watch him work as a result. It's really remarkable to see how he does that. As we wrap up, I want to share this idea with you. That I believe that every time we remember God's faithfulness, it requires a response. Remembering God's faithfulness requires a response. Sometimes that'll be through communion. Sometimes that'll be through us raising our hands and worshiping. Sometimes that's us spurred on to action, to give, to serve, to do something for our community. Remembering is the key to keep us from taking things for granted or just going through the motions and getting too familiar with where we're at. There's something about the action that takes place when we're like, you know what? God has done something remarkable for me. And I'll be honest with you, that's enough. If we didn't see him doing in us and through us, what he's done for us is completely enough. But we've seen God work for us. We all can nod our heads and say we've seen God do something in us. And even when you don't realize it, those acts of you going, I don't even know how much this matters, but I just know I'm going to do my part. I'm going to watch God work through me in a unique way. There's something in it that's just good for us. So remembering God's faithfulness requires a response. My question would be, what's your response? If you just had 30 minutes to reflect and think about God's faithfulness and what he's done for us, through us, and in us each individually, I just wonder, what do you do with that? I think some people go to church, and when they're leaving church, they're like, that was good. Now I'm done. And they kind of close the conversation when I believe that Sunday being the start of our week is the beginning of something. It's the beginning of something good and new. And so now that you've had this stirred up in your heart, the question is, what do you do with it now? Well, the cool thing is we're going to take a moment, just a minute, to just do some worship together. And worship, maybe you worship a little more passionately. Maybe you use this opportunity to just reflect a little bit more on God's faithfulness and all that he's done through you, in you, and for you. God is going to move in a mighty way, whether you want him to or not. He's doing something in our community, in our state, and in our world that matters. He's going to continue to have an impact. He's going to continue to make sure that the name of Jesus gets out there. He would absolutely love 
for you to be a part of that story and you to fight to be a part of that story and you let him use you in a unique way. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for us and then we're all going to, at the end of the prayer, we'll stand our feet and we're going to worship with one more song and let it be the beginning of your response to God's faithfulness. Why don't you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for all that you've done for us, through us, and in us. Let us not take it for granted. We know that you have great things in store for us. We believe it. And even on the days where it feels like not much is happening and you're not moving, we know that you're still at work, that you never sleep, that you're always moving, always doing something greater. You never, ever stop. And we're grateful. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for this time over the next month where we can reflect and celebrate his birth and all that that led to. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.